Welcome to the Naked Ambition Podcast, where we speak with the people who are making an impact in tech, innovation, and leadership all around the world. I'm your host, Fiona Triaka. Let's talk a little bit about this awesome guy called Michael Dixon. I'm going to give you a little formal intro. Is that all right? Informal or formal? A little bit formal and then you'll be informal for it. Uh, Can you give it to me in a voice, um, like your best radio voice that is super intelligent, super sassy, super successful, really just your normal voice? A really deep. Uh, Dixon is a man shaking up the dysfunctional love triangle that exists between creativity, business, and us. Wow. A musician by trade, a gypsy by nature, a fierce non-conformist, a prolific anti-perfectionist, perfectionist. Perfect that I said it like that. That was good. (laughs) He leads a new wave of entrepreneurial savants showing forward-thinking companies how to stay relevant. And I love this radical, which is absolutely true right now in the 21st century. Other cool things about him, he's an award-winning speaker. He's also a learning designer, works with some of the biggest shops in town. But most importantly, and kind of why we're here today as well, aside from me being an all-round legend and a mate, he is the author of the Everyday Creative Stop it! This guy. (laughs) so welcome mike how are you i'm very well i'm better having now being in this space with you you fabulous human i'm so been so looking forward to this and thrilled to be on with your beautiful community naked ambition for the win Mm, thank you so much thanks for joining us and to that community don't forget guys if you have dialed in live you got a chance to ask us any questions as well at some stage through the podcast. So we'll go to some of those questions, but I'm going to dive straight in, Mike, because I know you like to go deep mm-hmm. and quick. And I want to talk about the discomfort that exists in creativity. You talk about an example in the book, and it's probably one that a few people out there may have felt on either side, maybe as someone doing this work or being in it. But you were talking about when you were doing or designing a session for a mid-tier accounting firm and they said to you, uh, we're a little bit concerned about what you've got planned for the day. You think it might be a little bit too much for our people. Can you dial back maybe some of that creative stuff that you do? And you would be like, come on, trust me, come on the journey. The question I've got is what uncomfortable moments in your life made you decide to make this your life's work? That's a good question. Um, I don't know if any uncomfortable moments made me do this work, but I, that's a really good, tricky, interesting question to kick things off. I'm impressed. Um, I'll add to what, you know, that frame that you created that um, I just stopped telling clients what I'm going to do because Everyone has their, you know, a little bit risk averse. Hang on a second. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to upset anyone. We don't want to do anything. But of course, when you do play it safe, it's always boring and beige and everyone feels like it was a complete waste of time and money. Um, But I'd be interested. I'm jumping around already, getting lost in my own words already in this podcast, Fiona. But I would be very interested to know how people are feeling post COVID-19 with regard, because this book was written pre COVID-19 and a lot of the experiences of, Hey, let's do this. Let's try this with your people. Let's take them there and run them through this kind of experience. Whoa, that's too much. But I'm very interested to see what's going to happen 12 months from now, whether people will be more daring and more open to more radical um, learning experiences. But Mm. now I'll go back to your original premise of the question. Mm. What uh, uncomfortable experiences drove me to do this work I don't know if it drove me to do this work, whether I was called to do this work, whether it was just the mystical dance of choice and chance that I ended up here, but I've had certainly got many, many moments, uncomfortable moments of shame and humiliation of standing in front of a group of people of trying to put forward an idea or create an experience for um, an audience or a company or a bunch of friends or strangers. And it's gone delightfully badly 
and has, you know, driven me to want to curl into a ball and never, ever set foot in the public eye again. I don't even know how many times. I couldn't even tell you. And um, I'm so grateful for those experiences. Mm. They're the best. You should stick them out. You know, they're just glorious to fail and to look just to be embarrassed and shamed and have to confront that. I think it's so healthy. Um, as kooky as that sounds. Um, it doesn't, it's, it's not kooky because I think anyone who's actually witnessed the work that you do, you genuinely do seek that out. I mean, it'd be different if you're just talking to, you know, someone who's kind of sitting there writing or even, you know, maybe on the learning design and facilitation kind of perspective, but the stuff that you genuinely are putting out there to be in some of the experiences that you do are very risky every time and you have no idea where that is going to take it. Just like right now where I've got one of my kids screaming. I love it. It's great. <laughs> For once, it's not me. <laughs> it's awesome. We're trying to get on real with this and do the proper mic and it's just picking up every bit. <laughs> it's great. I love it. Now, this is real and this is radical and it's raw and, and relevant for this conversation. You know, there's, we can try and engineer all the danger and engineer the mystery and engineer um, serendipity and, and the possibility of creative collisions happening in our work and in the experiences that we design for our people. Um, and that just, it robs the potentiality of what you're trying to create every single time. I've got a background in jazz, so I'm very familiar with improvisation, very, I mean, I did gigs for probably 10, 15 years where I would literally show up at least two or three times a week, I would have some kind of background music gig in a bar or a restaurant or a club. And it might be, you know, really loud improvised music and dancey, or it might be just, you know, kind of jazz in the lobby of the Hilton or the Hyde or something. Mm. But I wouldn't take a single piece of music and I wouldn't, even if I was performing with other guys, I just start or they just start, pick a key, pick a tempo and we'd be off and we'd play for 45, 50 minutes without a break. And then we'd have a beer at the bar and talk to some people and then we'd play again. And it was never, uh, there was no set list. There was no communication about what we were going to do. It was really just losing ourselves in the moment, just trying to get as present as we could in the here and now. And then, and then enjoying the discovery of what's possible when you play and when you dance with the here and now. And I think that translates, uh, it's felt so comfortable to translate that into organizational learning and development, culture stuff, culture change, creative leadership, because it's exactly what's going on in workplaces uh, when things are working and when, when the magic happens and when we feel that magic, it's just like jazz. People are just operating from the center of their skill set and everyone's colliding and creating something together that looks radically different to what they intended five minutes ago or five days ago. Uh, but it's, there's an electricity to it and you can't stop once you start and you don't want to stop and you get to the end of it and you think, Oh my God, was that, was that an hour? Was that a project? Was that, you know, what, what was that? Let's do it again. Mm. Um, the, you know, the risk versus reward. It's just so, yeah, I think you can definitely get an addiction for that. And so, yeah, a lot of my work is trying to help people at least get a taste of that uh, and get, a, get familiar with it enough that they develop a flavor for it and they want more of it. Mm. And then they want to bring more of it. And then they want to activate more people in their team or their whole organization to then be hungry for that risk mm. and hungry for being present and, you know, in a conversation with a client or in a meeting with their team, just forget about what we had planned. What is the conversation that's willing to and wanting to emerge right here and now let's go that let's follow that. And that's when you get those surprising, beautiful, magical results. Did you get a glass of wine by the way, Fee? Cause I did yeah. on your recommendation. Yeah, yeah. There you go. For those, for those listening, uh, post podcast. Text Mike about 10 minutes before I go, should we actually, should we put wine here? Should we make this happen? But I want yeah, to it's, it's midday somewhere. Because you're just saying, you know, that in workplaces and in meetings and let's make things more fluid and let's do all these. And and the reality is that's what like mo most people are trying to avoid at all costs at all times. Yeah. But it's just the comparison, you know, rightly or wrongly, but the comparison to 
improv because I, I love that idea that actually when you think about your whole day at work, mm. it's just one long improvisation. Yeah. And that's, it's, you know, to think how terrified we are of doing something like improv if you were put on the spot or in some of the sorts of things that you do in experiences that you create. Mm. But actually, we're living more of that in our day-to-day lives when we realise it's just a question of accepting it. Mm-hmm. It's where the energy comes from too. Mm-hmm. You know, what we're, what we're looking for, I mean, engagement is the word that just about every organisation wants and is trying to create. How do we engage our people? How do we get them to bring their full selves to work? How do we get them to be excited and vibrant and enthusiastic about their role or the projects that they're, you know, they have to deliver? And that's all about energy. Mm-hmm. That's all about how to, you know, allow or encourage or channel um, a particular energy and, and improv or, um, you know, being present to the energy of the moment and going with that and, and working in flow with that, or at least trying to harmonize with that energy. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's mm-hmm. if you were to look back on any day, you know, what you'll remember will be those, those small or large moments where you felt alive. And they're generally when you veer just a little off what you had planned or where something, something comes out of, you know, left field or some, someone says something you weren't expecting and oh wow, that's the magic, you know? And, and it is, it is funny that, that, yeah, the vast majority of us spend most of our working lives trying to engineer that out, trying to control the outcome and, um, and have everything predictable. And, you know, like I love, I do a lot of speaking and, you know, events and stuff like that. And whenever there's a, an EGM or a CEO or someone like that. And they've got their notes and they've had it proofread by 17 people and they've gone through this and they've got every single line. And yet, you know, I might, I might riff with the, with the CEO or someone um, after their prepared session and they'll say something off the cuff and it will humanize them immediately. Mm-hmm. It'll be deeply personal and revealing and raw. And that's the moment of intimacy and connection that, the leaders and the organization wanted with their people and it's their humanity came through. You know, it's like, I always think about, you know, where you see um, cement, like pavement footpath or whatever. And there's a tiny little flower that's like, and it's just crept up and trying to find the sun. And, you know, it's used a lot in those, um, those platitude kind of memes that people used to hang on their, on their walls back in the nineties or whatever, like courage, yeah, bravery, all that stuff. But it is like that. It's like it, uh, when a little bit of humanity s- just sneaks out, um, sneaks off script. It's the moment everyone starts paying attention mm. and everyone is engaged and everyone goes, oh, that's the leader we're looking for. That's the leader I can follow. So it is, um, yes, it's that. <laughs> it's exactly that. It's <laughs> great. Talking, speaking of engagement, you've got some cool stuff in the book about engagement. You talk about a study, it's actually done back in 2018, maybe by Gartner or, you know, one of the good guys who puts this kind of stuff out. Um, and, but it was around one of the major causes of disengagement. Around 50% of people feel disconnected to mm. the actual work that they're doing, which is linked to, which I found quite interesting now, again, saying you wrote this pre-COVID, it was about loneliness. 50% of people actually are quite lonely. We're not as connected to people as we used to be. What are your thoughts on that now? I mean, we know that that's probably, it's definitely increased over the kind of COVID period. And what are your thoughts on that and what leaders can be doing about that at the moment to create more of that kind of connection that we're talking about. This is, um, you reminded me of that actually, of just opening the book. Um, in 2018, Australian loneliness report found that 50% of Aussies profess to feeling lonely each week. World economic forum reported that 40% of people under 25 are isolated and one in four millennials concede to not having a single friend. Oh, 25% of, of uh, the youngsters out there can't even say that they've got a mate. Mm. 
like and 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 a lot of uh, people out there would have been familiar. The UK appointed a minister for loneliness a few years ago. There's been calls to do that in Australia, particularly in Melbourne. I think it was a, a mayor or a minister in, in Victoria said we should do the same. And isn't that a tragic, like a, a tragic bunch of statistics mm. to think that in this day and age where we're connected more than we've ever been connected at, at our fingertips, and yet we're all more lonely than we've ever been mm. or felt. And then we go into isolation and lockdown. I mean, I've got some friends that um, people that I work with that, that, are, that haven't coped well. You know, we talked just before we went online about, um, yeah, this has been a pretty, it, it's been a very uncertain, uncomfortable time, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of positives, a lot of silver lining that's come out of this. And, and some of us is there's changes that are taking place that we've been looking forward to, or even trying to um, help nudge forward in our work and, and the way we live our lives. But for some people, it's been really, really confronting. Mm. And I think it's that loneliness of being like jammed up in a house, um, not being able to connect through a screen in the same way you do. And it's exposing maybe the, I don't know, even the shallowness or superficialness of a lot of relationships that we might've had pre COVID. Um, like what really matters now I would hope that like many things that this, that the opportunity exists for companies and for leaders and, uh, and managers, anyone that's running a team and even, even just businesses with their customers and clients, like look for that. How can you connect and build meaningful relationships with your people? And that gets thrown around all the time in, you know, with consultants and, and speakers and stuff like that. But, but really think about it. And, and I think, I like to I like to try to bring distill things back to real simplicity. So, okay, how much money do you need to make in your life? Uh, and then, you know, if you if you work for yourself, um, you know, a simple way of doing that, you kind of break it down and they go, okay, what is it that I sell? And then, how many of those do I need to sell to make that? Okay, cool. Well, I don't need a hundred thousand clients. I might only need six. Or, I'm, or if I charge a little more for that and put a little bit more time into that, maybe I only need yeah, six or seven clients a year. What if those six or seven clients were like my best mates? Mm. What if I just gave them everything? What if I just pushed everything aside and, and the people that I'm working with right now, I'm not looking over their shoulder. I'm not thinking about the next big fish. I'm just like, what do you need? I'm here for you. Yes. And, and let's... Um, like, let's get intimate. Let's share the story of who we are. Let's, let's share where we're afraid and when we're lost and when we're lonely. And uh, man, imagine like what a world it could be post COVID where, you know, everyone at work doesn't need to be your BFF forever. Um, but to the trust that we're looking for to build in our teams and, and the psychological safety and, to know that you could go to work and it could feel just to, to feel so warm and safe and, and that you could be yourself. And that if you're like, you know what, man, I need a coffee. Do you want to get, do you want to hang? Yeah, let's do it. What do you need? Like we're all in this together. That, that is a beautiful premise, like a beautiful possibility that could emerge out of this. And I think it's something the smart and savvy organizations are going to recognize that and not do it sneakily, not half ass it. You know, that's the beautiful thing about, about trust and about relationships is that we, we smell a rat. Like we can, we know when someone's bullshitting us, <laughs> when, you know what I mean? Like we know when a company is just all rhetoric and no follow through. So it's, it's, I, I hope another positive to come of this is it just exposes um, our intent. Mm-hmm. And if your intent really is to connect and to, to add value and to be on the journey with someone, not just to, not just a quick fix or a quick paycheck, mm-hmm. but actually like, Hey, we're here for a reason or a season, maybe even a lifetime um, in this engagement together. Let's make it amazing. Let's make it beautiful. Wow. Love it. You've got the chat going off too. <laughs> Stop it. Oh, I can see that. I'm going to have a look. You got Nosh and Leah really both those. But I honestly, I, I just, yeah, you, I'm lighting up with the whole concept of, you know, a handful of clients that are your best mates. That's something I've firmly always believed in. And 
you know, as well, like honestly, you, you've spoken about this together before as well. You get on that kind of growth train and you think it's got to be this and that. And it's actually like, they're the times you were happiest at work and in your life when these, they actually like a lot of clients have become best friends. Yeah. Working with them. And it is, you will throw everything at it. You know, you're not doing it because you're just trying to get the thing. You're doing it because yeah. life, it's your life and there's no line anymore. And that's kind of you know, so cool what you're talking about. It's these blurred lines of how we actually do our work. 100%. And even take you and I, for example. So we met, um, I think it was Paul originally introduced us. We met in that beautiful cafe in Richmond and we were chatting and you were just, you know, kicking your things off and I was kicking my things off. And then stay connected, did different things. And then um, we were at that event last year and then you were like, Mike, I want you to come and do what you do for us for our Christmas show, you know? And I was like, oh, okay, like, cool. So, you know, I'll do you some deal. And you're like, no, I don't want you to do me a deal. I want you to charge me what you charge because I love you and value you and, uh, you know, I believe in you. And that's, that's counterintuitive to what, um, what you'd expect. You know, you think, oh yeah, you know, you do business with your mates or build relationships and then, you know, you're going to have to drop your value or this or that. But the opposite is quite often true. And even today where you say to me, Mike, I've, you know, I've had a flick through the book and I love it. It's amazing. I want to send it to all my clients um, and, and colleagues and whatever else. And I wrote to you on the text and said, oh, listen, I'll give you a bunch of them, you know, cost or whatever I pay for them. You can have them. Yeah, that'd be great. And you wrote back immediately. No, I'm paying full retail. You know, it's like, isn't that beautiful? Like what a, that's, I mean, it makes, it makes me feel just so special and warm and loved. And, and now all I want to do is reciprocate that back to you. And, and it's just this, um, it's just gorgeous. Like the, the business um, could be done that way. And I think, and this is another thing while we're on this topic of COVID, I think this is what this is exposing is that we all really do exist because of other. Like I cannot pay my mortgage without you, yeah. Fiona. You can't pay yours without me. Like we can't, if, if people aren't working, I can't get the food in the supermarket and I can't get electricity. And we all are in this together. And if, if I want to thrive, I actually need you to thrive. Like this, this old model, the capitalist vibe of, of uh, winner take all and of extracting and exploiting as much as I can and getting a competitive advantage. And then I want to grow to this monolith, you know, and, and be bigger than everyone else and then eat them up and bite them and break them into little pieces and sell them off. I think that's, that's looking like that won't work anymore because I need you to have a successful thriving business so that you can buy from me and I can buy from you and we can buy from them. And that it's almost like this, this global village where if everyone had their own, uh, if everyone was doing their own thing and fulfilling their potential and expressing their, their truth, mm. beautiful, meaningful way, I want to honor that. And whatever I make from selling something to them, I'll give it to you and then you can give it to them and we can give it, and it can be this, you know, really lovely circular generative economy mm. where everybody wins. Kumbaya. <laughs> I deserve a sip of wine. I think, it does, you know, if we want, if we want great people to keep on making these things, you know, we we got to keep the roof over their head as well. This is part of it. Well, and isn't that a beautiful premise to think about? You know, the arts, obviously, that's my background is in the arts entertainment sector and they've been hardest hit once again. We don't even have a minister for arts in this country. <laughs> Funnily enough, I do remember... <laughs> Tell this just because we are here. It's got it. I knew it was going to come out at some point. Speaking of Mike coming to perform, uh, to do his amazing stuff at our Christmas party last year, and he absolutely like brought the roof down. People still talk about how incredible it was, but the, the, the knockout moment was. But this is actually it is a symbol of, of how you can. Yeah, there's got so many things in the book. This how you can genuinely move people to do things they would never do. Like it's truly this symbol of, and. You know, everything's going, you know, the whole thing's been amazing. You get towards the end, everyone's had a few shampers. Before we know it, the, the night before, Scott Morrison had just announced there would be no Minister for Arts anymore. Yeah. <coughs> starts singing a song, uh, some kind of spoken word piece that turns into a song about a lot of swearing. Yeah. 
Scott Morrison in it. And before we knew it, us, half of our client base <laughs> and the whole team and everyone's got the band behind them. <laughs> oh my God. But again, just had to yeah. go there. But it is real, that is a symbol of those things that you spoke about in the book about this, well, the everyday creative, that premise of we don't, like in order for us to be creative and do those crazy things, we actually yeah. do sometimes have to let ourselves get swept up Yes. We are so controlled over, oh, should I say that? Or could I say that? I mean, even that sort of thing's coming out a lot right now mm-hmm. with everything that's happened post-COVID. Mm-hmm. Then you've got Black Lives Matters. And there's so much like communication about what we should say or could mm-hmm. say or shouldn't say as mm-hmm. well, I think. That's beautiful. That's a really beautiful uh, context of what you're talking about. So that day... Uh, you know, at that, the party, we'd all had a few drinks. It was Christmas. And yeah, being present in the moment, writing the moment, we got to a point where we were singing F.U. Scott Morrison, something like that. And there's, I don't know, 40 of us, probably yeah. liberal voting people in that room, you know. It was, <laughs> and they would go along with it. <laughs> one or two Scomo fans. Yeah. Maybe they are now. Who knows? Post everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember driving home that day and I was saying to, um, to Danny, my drummer, I was like, oh, I Jesus, did that just happen? <laughs> I don't think that was appropriate. You know, on, on reflection, I don't think that was, and then right at that moment, you text me, you're like, um, yeah. So a few people have asked about that video. Oh, cause we filmed it. Yeah, that's what I've got. We didn't just sing it. People have woken up the next morning right. being like, where is that video gonna go? I think I was threatening to, to put it on LinkedIn or something yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> and you were like, oh, do you reckon you could delete that? I said, it's already deleted. Don't worry about that. But it, but then the softness afterwards, right? Where you were so generous and soft, like you didn't, you didn't chew me out or say, Mike, that was inappropriate. You were like, hey, cool. You know, that happened. And then, you know, that's where it must live and die. Yeah. Uh, and it's the same true, exactly like a great point where we're dealing with Black Lives Matter and a whole bunch of, of crazy social and cultural um, norms are being you know, brought to the surface and I'm by no means am I um, should speak about that right now. That's what we're learning so much is, is, is our privilege and how clumsy we are. And, and um, you know, we've got to be soft with ourselves mm. and we've got to do the work and we've got to, you know, just, just, yeah, try to be gentle with everyone at mm. this time and, and generous and, uh, and that includes ourselves, you know, but being present and trying to make a stand and saying the wrong thing and then getting, you know, schooled and taught, no, that's not appropriate. That's actually still racist. That's actually still privileged. Right on. Okay, cool. I saw um, Scott Farquhar uh, from Atlassian tweet something yesterday where, where um, he wrote, I can't remember specifically, but it just looked like a, a normal tweet and he was supporting the movement. And then, you know, a day later wrote, hey, thanks. I actually got told that what I wrote was actually um, racist. So thanks, I'm still learning and I'm being open to it. And I thought that that was, that was beautiful that people are now calling it out and saying it, but then he was, he took it in a beautiful way and we're all, we're doing the best we can to, um, to right the wrongs of, of the world that we've been living in. What a time we're living in. My God, Fee, this is crazy, right? Every day it gets even wilder. Can you, Mike, we just need to pause for 10 seconds. Just got a slight yeah. outside. You know, just give me one moment. Everyone just. Yeah. I'll chat. I'll chat with everyone. Chat everyone. Give us a second. I'll go to the chat. Oh, Leah. Nosh and Leah are on. Yes, yes, yes. There is a village in Tuscany I visited for a music festival and they don't have much money at all. We want to know about that video. Oh yeah, that video. Fiona does look gorgeous. Fiona always looks gorgeous. That's just what, that's what she does. And you know why? Because she's got a gorgeous soul and a gorgeous spirit, and that just radiates out of, you know, her pores. And she's got, you know, she's running this business, and she's got kids doing madness in the other room, going crazy, wild, and she's dealing with it. Mike, this haircut, this is actually a little old. So for the first time in ever. Uh, I got a fade that was just skin. So I love my hairdresser, Adrian. Shout out to him, Rickston's Packington Street down in Geelong. And uh, it was like a, like a fade that was just pure skin. And 
I don't know. I'm addicted. I actually love it. It it felt like, um, God, this is going to be kind of weird, but Fiona's going to walk back into this, what I'm about to say. It felt like, um, <laughs> what's it? Is it the perineum? No. What's the little part between? Oh, I won't the go there. The mouth? No. The little part between your bum and your naughty bits. <laughs> Oh, I know what it is, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> well, what I'm telling, I'm telling the viewers at home is I had, I had a skin fade with this haircut, you know, two weeks ago, and it actually felt so smooth. It was like that. <laughs> Someone can write in the chat. And here we go again, <laughs> folks, that we're right on the edge Fair of enough. where we need okay, to be. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Yes, it is. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> what time is it? It's not even five o'clock, and we're no, we're getting dangerous. I hope everybody else who's on the line is pouring themselves a drink. Good as well. Fantastic. It's now too. Um, oh, always so much fun. I I want to talk though. I want to talk about some of the just absolute gold that is in this book because I really wasn't kidding. It's totally struck me, and I just mentioned to you before we were on this. I think a few people on the line might have read it, but. Julia no. The Artist's Way, which is like oh, yes. a seminal book on creativity. But that is truly what it reminded me of, really the practical stuff that is in there. Um, and a few digs at the old Post-it Note Brigade, which were... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> uh, you got to pick an angle. <laughs> that is, and that is some of the, the things that we grapple with. It's like how, you know... I believe you, you can change it, you can change, you can create creativity through certain conditions, but you know, it isn't one of those sheep dips, one thing and we're done, which is exactly what you're talking in there. Mm. But I want to um I want to talk a little bit about like the spectrums of creativity, because you talk about six spectrums of creativity, which really resonated with me a lot because I think even you know, even people who probably maybe have dabbled in some of this work or even do some of this work or even just want to be them. Like, we, do we kind of move through the spectrums of creativity? Is it a fluid thing? Is it kind of you're on the trying to get through? John, talk to us a little bit about that thinking. So uh, I just made them up. And anyone that makes up a model just makes up a model. There are no absolute truths when it comes to models. It's a useful frame. And when it stops being useful, forget about it. Mm. Uh, but what Fiona is talking about is, is like a spectrum of where I thought it might be helpful for, for people to self-identify where they might be on a spectrum with relation to them living wholly aligned with their creative expression. So at the center of their self. So at the, at the far end of it, we'd uh, people, we'd call them a never was creative. So they're the people that believe wholeheartedly, I never was creative. I was born this way. I'm an analytical, logical mind, or I'm, I'm an outdoor person and I don't, you know, do that fluffy stuff. It's just not what I do. Maybe I love it. Maybe I'm interested in it, but I'm just not, I'm a never was creative. Mm. Up from that, a little bit of a level, there is the used to be. And this is almost, um, almost I think the saddest kind of, of creative out there is that they, they feel like they used to be creative, but something happened and they lost it and they can't get it back. Whether that was something in childhood or whether that's the professional career they ended up in, but it's like, oh, I used to be creative and I wish I could get back there, but it's, but I can't. There's mm -hmm. something blocking me or there's some, someone blocking me. Unbeknownst to them, it's actually them that's blocking them. But then you move up into a kind of sort of creative. So someone that, you know, they like, they like being creative uh, on an offsite, a team offsite day or something like that. They might, um, they get a real thrill out of doing, you know, the exercises, the activities that are left of center that, but they'd never volunteer themselves first. They're always kind of following along. They'd never, they never truly believe that what they would have to offer would be of value, but they jump on what someone else puts forward even if they've got ideas swirling around the back of their head, then the, from the kind of sort of, we move into the, uh, can't even remember kind of sort of into whatever the next it. one. I love it. It's kind of, no, I love it. I am like when I yes. get time off work, I'm painting, but, uh, that's right. A shitty job that makes me not creative, but that's right. 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, where they, where, yeah, they love it. And maybe they are the first to volunteer on an offsite or something like that, but there's still this deeply held belief that creativity won't pay the bills mm -hmm. and that it's nice to do on the weekends or with the kids. And it's something that they love, but this is really what matters in the world we're living in. So that's the stuff they need to focus on. Mm -hmm. Then, you start getting into, when you get to the other end of the spectrum, you start getting into the natural born creative. So these are just those people that it comes naturally to them. They're poetic. It falls out of their fingertips. They're always well put together or they just come up with these wild, crazy ideas and it's effortless and you want to be them, you know, but they take it for granted a lot of the time because they don't apply it there. It just comes to them so they can always get lazy and complacent. And believe me, I spent a lot of time in that place where, um, you know, I didn't make it, uh, I didn't make it part of my life. I kind of would just let it, let it flow through me when it felt appropriate, but I didn't apply it in a, with discipline or with, with a day-to-day -day work. And then obviously the end, this end of the spectrum is the everyday creative. So someone that is consciously bringing it into their life, into their work, into their relationships every day. They're thinking about how they can seek more, thinking about how they can feel more, make more and give more away, which is this, you know, circular kind of um, uh, process of everyday creativity. And there, that's where we want to be. And what I love about this little model, what I enjoyed making it was, yeah, it is a spectrum, but all roads lead to everyday creativity. You don't have to, you know, make your way up from never was to used to be to kind of sort of to love to be to whatever. It's just, you can just go straight to everyday. There is a shortcut. <clears throat> Um, and there is a, yeah, it's, it's like, just bring it into your everyday and you can, you can skip all of these hierarchical, you know, well, you've got to do that program and you've got to do this and you've got to do now nah, just make it every day, every moment, every meeting, every email, every, every project, every part of every project, just stop and consider how could I bring more creativity to this? Obviously, I think that the very next question um, beyond that is, well, what is creativity? Like, how do you bring, what do you mean, Mike? Are you talking about bringing art and crafts and music and dance to, you know, this mathematical problem or this financial project or whatever we're dealing with? What is that creativity you're talking about? And I think that's what the book really, if there was an, an underlying premise to this book, it's that you get to define what creativity is to you. Because I believe we need to democratize creativity. I think until now it has been, it has been uh, kind of stolen or by the arts and they've loved it. And then it was uh, like advertising companies mm -hmm. and, you know, the advertising teams loved being the creatives and we couldn't go and talk to them because they're being creative. And now we're seeing the design studios yeah. or uh, it's the, you know, the hipsters in the tight jeans and the, the funky glasses living in Fitzroy devs and tech people. They're the creatives can't go near them. But the rest of us, you know, we don't, we don't get the honor or the pleasure or privilege of, of having access to that kind of creativity. We're just the, you know, the plebs that do the real work. And I say, fuck that. I say, um, everyone is accessing their creativity all day, every day, whether they recognize it, whether they call it by that name or not. And so now is the time for you to reclaim it and to make it your own and enjoy the benefits that come with living wholly aligned with your creative expression time for another sip of wine oh i think you got an amen there from kate in the chat too tell us really practical stuff though for you because i know you know i've heard you speak about this before you know on the record off the record but like everyone struggles with create you know with being as creative as they need to be i'm not talking about productive necessarily mm -hmm. but it's like what are some what are some of the practices that have really worked for you? Because you mentioned there was that where you were like, oh, it'll come to me then, or I'm just, it's only through my music and jazz is my creative outlet, or you were a musician and then you've chosen this line of work. Like what works for you? Especially something like a book, because that must have been, you know, everyone says giving birth. Consistency. Yeah. So the courage, it, any creative decision, any creative idea, any creative expression takes courage. We're risking being laughed at. We're risking looking foolish. We're risking uh, looking competent. And in a business environment, in the way that it's still structured and the way that we're, um, oh, just accept that meeting invite. Um, 
the way that things have been until now, you know, we can feel very exposed if we, if we put something forward that's unpolished or if we say, Oh, why don't we just, you know, try this and it seems risky. So we need a certain element of courage, but that courage, you can't jump from having never really put forward an idea to suddenly throwing them out every meeting. Mm -hmm. You got to build up to it and you build up to it just like you do when you're training. It's as simple as like, like going to the gym or running. You don't start with a marathon. Your friend of mine, Sam Gash, she runs 70 day ultra marathon. She ran across India. She's run across Antarctica. She's insane. Mm -hmm. You don't go from me <laughs> who um, doesn't run at all enough, which is really bad um, to Sam. You've, you've got to start with a walk and just do it every day. When, when I actually, um, a few years ago, one of my you know existential crises i was off overseas in india rr ended up in southeast asia ended up buying a beach bar in cambodia i built a guest house and a mexican restaurant and that was awesome and then after that i thought i sold the bar after a year and was like okay i've got i was going to go to central america but i got an opportunity to uh, get some more land isolated stretch coastline in cambodia overlooking the gulf of thailand it was stunning i built a little geodesic dome and i said i am going to create for a whole year on my own. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And uh, I did, you know, but I kind of didn't at the same time. And I had on my, in this sphere that I lived in, I had, you know, the days of the week and the months and I was writing how many songs I would write. And when I got to the end of it, it really wasn't as productive or as creative as I would have hoped to be. And I realized when I got towards the end of the year that I wasn't at risk, that I wasn't as much as I was living in a dangerous part of the coastline, it was very safe because I wasn't sharing anything. I wasn't putting myself out there to be judged by others, to have my ideas be, you know, consumed by the world. Um, and so I just went bang. It was like a lightning bolt. I just got it, made a home for my new dogs and well, my, my dogs and sold my place, came back to Melbourne. I started a project called songs It was five O N G S. And so for every week for 50 weeks, I wrote recorded and released an original piece of music. And I was terrified doing that. Print. It was horrible. I hated it because no, nothing I wrote could have been perfect or polished. I only had a week and in that, you know, I had other things I needed to do. So really every song was like, Oh, I don't want to publish this. This is horrible. If someone, you know, I, I meet someone new and they say, what are you doing? I say, Oh, I'm doing this project. And they listen to those songs and they're not quite done. They're not finished. They're going to judge me and my musical capability on those unfinished songs. And what that did for my identity was so liberating. Because in the beginning, it was excruciating. And then I started to get some distance between me and the work. And then I started to get some distance between what they thought of what I created and what I thought of what I created and what I thought of them thinking about what I created. And the whole thing suddenly had so much more space and so much more freedom. And then I just got lost in the process. And then I didn't care what you thought about my work. I didn't even care about what I thought about my work. It was just about enjoying the process of creating. And from that came... You know, I did a spoken word piece for 50 weeks. Then I wrote a book, my first book in 50 days called Just Do Something. And the whole premise was to just do something creative every day, but share it. Put yourself at risk. And just a little bit, you know, it could be a, a Instagram meme. It could be an, an interesting meal that you cook. It could be, you know, walking a different way to work and filming it or whatever. Something every single day and start building the muscle and share it and share it and share it. And that, you know, in terms of a practical thing, if that's something that you could do every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, just keep doing it. And then over time, I spent an entire day today making a film uh, that's three minutes long that maybe a hundred people will watch, you know? Um, and there's a billion other productive things that I could be doing, but ahead of this book launch, I need to put it out. And I'm screw around with these filters on in Final Cut Pro and trying to find all this stuff. But I'm, I'm very okay with that now. I'm okay with spending a whole day on one little film because I love it and I get so much value out of it, but you don't jump straight to that. So someone that that has, you know, wants to start being creative or making some things, they're not going to clear a whole day to mm. make a film, but they can clear five minutes, you know, and you can, you can just start building to it that way. It's time for another sip of wine. Heaps in there. You know what I'm saying? Am I rambling? And it's kind of, 
because that's where you've landed at the end you know for a lot of people who are listening to this they might be like you know awesome but when am I going to have a day you know to make that video but as you just said you don't doesn't have to be that you know you can sometimes it's just doing the smaller creative piece and then proving it like and if you don't share it then you won't have I'm saying permission because it's not necessarily asking for permission but you know if that's what you're looking for to make you know you and part of what you're saying as well is you don't need to quit your job to become more creative. You know, there's mm -hmm. corners, maybe you do need to eventually or whatever it is, but for every person who can be more creative, the point of the book, which is geared at people who are changing things internally in enterprise in a lot of cases as well. Like that's who you champion. That's yeah. who you are for. And that's a hard, in some ways a harder gig to do because of the bureaucracy and systemic change. And there's lots of other things we, you know, go on and on on why that doesn't happen. But mm, mm. so small little nudges, I think that you're. And that's what, that's what you're talking about is the perfect, it, it, again, it's the best premise. So you don't have to quit your job, go to India, drive mm. around on a, on a en Royal Enfield motorbike, find yourself and your creative expression. It's wonderful. I recommend that, but you don't have to do it. I think probably a better way of doing it is by working on where you're at right now and looking at the challenges you're facing, look at the culture. If it's, if you're not enjoying that culture, looking at the way that you communicate or other people communicate with you, whatever is around you that isn't working, that's fertile ground mm -hmm. for your creativity. How can you make it better? How can you use your initiative? How can you use your unique experience and expertise to bring to those circumstances? And when you start doing that, you start finding that energy that we talked about at the start of this podcast, mm -hmm. where you're in the moment suddenly. It's not this thing that's stopping you expressing yourself. It's like, oh, this is, this is the constraint. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm working within. This is the, the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, you know, kind of breakdown of a song format mm -hmm. that I'm working within. I've got a boss that won't let me do this. Cool. So how can I get around this? How can I get them to get on the journey with me? How can, it's just seeing everything in your way as, well, I think the second chapter is called the obstacle is the way, mm. you know, what, how can you make, um, make magic with the mundane, you know, put extra in the ordinary. How can you find and define the special source that is hiding in plain sight? of your everyday work day. Mm -hmm. And from that, that is, um, that's the gift I think is when you start becoming that kind of person, when, when you start showing up in that way, the value that you add is tenfold. And if you've got career aspirations, if you've got a vision of where you want to be, uh, forget about the political game, forget about strategizing, be someone that just makes magic everywhere you go with whatever you're dealing with. Don't worry about getting recognition or acclaim. Just worry about losing yourself in the moment and trying to make something beautiful with it. And some, it's not always going to work. Sometimes you're going to end up singing, you know, a, a, a horrible song about Scott Morrison with a bunch of people in a room, you know, but, but then sometimes you'll sing about something else, you know, that sets souls on fire and, and someone in that room hears you or as a part of it and it might not be next week next month or even next year but eventually they might say hey i was in the room when that happened and i want you to come work for us mm -hmm. or i want you to you know come and be on this podcast or i want you to do whatever or that changed me and i've gone on and built a business or made a connection or fell in love or made a million bucks because of what you did that day mm -hmm. so even if you don't get the benefit of it you're giving that to someone else and that's this circular you know, this generous and generative spirit that we're seeing so much more of now, uh, which, which is, it's the only way to be, mm. you know, it's, it's, um, it's beautiful. Mm. It's what you do. It's what you do every day, Fiona, <coughs> you gorgeous human. <laughs> we're lucky. I think it's super lucky. There's the, the I'm going to ask the audience as well. Are there, uh, any questions that anybody else has for Mike? I've got through about two of the however many we had here. Um, so Leah just says, this is what Naked Ambition did for me. Oh. See, there you go. And she Beautiful. does so many other people. Leah's just, yeah, she's, she's the perfect example of this. So just making magic and just, just rolling with it. 
Yeah. Generous and generative spirit. And Nosh cruising around on, uh, on the bike around India. Yeah. That's amazing. I recommend it. He does have a question for you, actually, though. How to get into the super flow of creativity? This is a good one because there's a couple of questions around kind of the, your favourite techniques as well in there that you talk about in the book. Could you cover yeah. some of those? I think even going back to, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on what we were just talking about with this every day. We're just doing a little thing every day, little moments. I reckon counter to that or in addition to that, complementary to that is to also recognize and surrender to the idea that that real magic doesn't happen without you doing a shit ton of work like real creativity the super flow that nosh is talking about how do you really lock into that place where it's like everything you touch makes you come alive makes the world come alive around you where the hairs stand up on the back of your neck that doesn't happen without a lot of discipline. That doesn't happen without a lot of sacrifice. The, the amount of times that, um, I mean, I can say this confidently now because there have been, I don't even know how many days I've been inside on that instrument, practicing my scales or working on, you know, creating something or videos or poems or this or that while everyone else is out of the pub having a good time or they were running around in the sunshine or surfing or, or um, working a job, making money, buying houses, building an empire. Fantastic. Nothing wrong with that. But investing in your craft, in the craft of you, doing the things that you don't necessarily get paid for straight up, but are building your skills in this way. Um, there, there isn't really a shortcut to that. Mm. There is just time on the court. And in the same way that, that, you know, the wisdom and experience that comes of doing something for 20 years, the sooner you make this a part of your life in these small increments and then, bigger increments and then more and then more. And then it becomes a discipline and a practice for you, just like yoga, just like green smoothies, just like try not to yell at your kids, whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> into the room. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know th then, then that's where you will get the super flow where, and, and the super flow of where what you'll actually create will it won't just make you feel alive, but it will also, it'll make others feel alive. It's not like, wow, that's so great. You created that good on you, Susan. It's like, whoa, Susan, what the hell did you do? That is incredible. Mm -hmm. That has changed my life that I want more of that. I want to do what you do, Susan. And Susan's like, what do you mean? I'm just someone that's, you know, always worked in HR or accounts or blah, blah, blah. I'm not, what do you mean, Susan? that just blew my mind. And, and that's, um, yeah, you got to commit and you got to you know, keep going. And the good thing about it, about this is there's a lot of us out there. And I would say to anyone listening, if you're like, yeah, but I need someone to support me, call me, email me, hit me up on, on the socials, because that's what I'm here for is to empower you and remind you that this is the way forward. And in being the way forward, it's actually a return to who you've always been. This is the way home, you know, back to you and back to your unique self-expression. Cause we need that more than ever right now. We don't need another robot. We don't need another HR director. We don't need another L and D manager. We need you, whatever your expression is mm -hmm. in your work and in your role and in your company or industry. So it's time to go home. Take him up on that peeps. Anytime around the Yeah, do it. I love it. You know, I meet, I actually meet a lot of beautiful people. They write me, they write me beautiful messages and emails and I love it. I love getting in beautiful conversations with strangers that, that um, are heartfelt and open and vulnerable. Like what a gift, yeah. you know, that, that you can do that. It's gorgeous. But this, you know, that is, you're just saying that to be that champion for one person, I'm sure you like to tons of people who are doing this, but something else that you touched on there I think is really important about this everyday creativity is not seeking that approval as well. Like you just mentioned there, I might, you might spend a day, you know, on creating and you do create these most incredible spoken word pieces, pop them up on LinkedIn. You get a lot more views than that, but at the same time, like, so, you know, it's a lot for, 
for the output, but it's also how you're saying there, it's like, don't get bogged down in who's watching. You know, put it out there. You do have to do that. You do have to share it. Let it be judged. Let it be whatever. But don't be focusing on how many people see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I said this to Kate before my beautiful wifey who takes care of me and does everything and enables all of this to take to happen. But it was, um, I do, I think about dying a lot and I think about the funeral and the eulogy. And I think about you, hopefully standing around glass of champagne or espresso martini or whatever's going and everyone's there wearing radiant colorful stuff. I don't want a black tie wedding. And, uh, and it's like, cool. Let's have a look at what Mike did. And there's poems and there's stories and there's spoken word pieces and there's songs and there's art and there's self-expression and there's everything that didn't make a profit, you know, but made a difference and, and was an invitation to more beauty and leaving the world a more beautiful place. And I mean, that's what drives me. And I try, and I, I tried, you know, I, I really did get stuck into, okay, I'm going to do this commercial thing. I'm mm. going to be a speaker and a consultant and I want to make a bunch of money and I want to build a property portfolio. I want to do all that stuff. Sure. I want security for my family and, and I always want to pay the bills, but I mean, this COVID-19 has really, it's brought even me back to what's really important to me and what I value most. And it's that stuff. And mm -hmm. I, I have, it has tortured me my whole life where I've seen people go off and be very successful commercially while I was playing in the Hilton lobby, or I was still trying to get a record deal when the music industry died, you know, two decades ago. And, uh, and it was, it was, I just couldn't reconcile. It was always like, Oh, do I have to sell out to be this, but I want to do that. But oh, oh, it was such a conflict and a tension within me. Mm. And now, um, I think I'm quite, I'm getting more and more resolved with that, that I know, you know, I still need to have a career and we all do. Um, but it's that other part. And I, I will say this, I work with a lot of executives, a lot of very successful people and they're amazing and they've done incredible things and they've climbed the corporate ladder and they've got three houses and they're fit and athletic and their kids go to private school, whatever all of the things that we would deem to be a success and they're miserable and it doesn't come out in the first session, the second or third, it becomes very clear. There's something missing. I don't know why I need to work with you. I want, what is it that uh, it's the self-expression piece. It's this meaning and this quest for why does my life matter? What am I really here for? And you can't, that doesn't arrive. You've got to make that, you know, your life is to create your life. The meaning of your life is created it's not found it doesn't arrive on your doorstep one day and that comes through everyday creativity of finding your voice of sharing it of of tweaking it and testing it and and adapting and evolving it and like well i think we're going to see more and more of this of people that have that have won the game that have ticked every box in that former you know kind of game we were playing the capitalist world and and consumerist society and Western way of life. And we're going to see more and more people that, that want more. And I think they're going to arrive at it's their quest for home, for finding themselves again. And, and I, I think that's a really point, a good point to reiterate and, and even taper off with, I know we're getting to the end of this podcast is that the meaning we seek isn't found. It's created. Mm. Wow really just brought it home there as well man search for meaning yeah. Uh, yeah i'm sure i'm sure in the modern era victor frankel would have said a person's search for meaning <laughs> for meaning you know what i mean yeah that's a what human the yeah. human search for meaning yeah oh mike you've been amazing um yeah could pour another bottle and take a couple of hours um we've only just scratched the surface i think of Jen, I mean, barely what you've got to give, but also uh, what this awesome book has got to give. So we did have a question as well. Mike, where can we buy the book? Uh, well, depending on when this comes out, um, well, it's live now, oh, no, isn't it? So, 
the book officially starts shipping on July the 1st, mm -hmm. but you can pre-order it now from Amazon, from Booktopia, from Dimmicks, from Readings, from wherever you like. Um, you can go to everydaycreatives with an S.com and we built a website and there's a bunch of pre-launch kind of bonuses and specials. If you want to jump on that, mm -hmm. uh, that we're offering and my website as well, michaeldixon.com. That's M Y K E L D I X O N dot com. <laughs> and can I just, you know, can I just take a minute to share and acknowledge you Fiona and the work that you do and the team that you've pulled together because the vibe that you've created with, with the naked ambition peeps is palpable. I talk to your clients and they just rave about you. They love it. And the spirit with which you show up and that you do your work and that you create platforms like this to share my work is so important and it's so valued by so many people. And I feel like you're still just getting warmed up. Like I'm so excited by what's coming for all of us because of you and Naked Ambition. So thank you for being just such a beautiful, gorgeous spirit. You're awesome. You'll definitely be on the show again. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you to everyone as well that tuned in live. And I'm loving the chats um, and everyone on there. It's been amazing. So thanks for, for that. This will be released tomorrow for anyone who wants to listen in again. And um, we'll, we'll, we'll get some of that uh, sound sorted out in post-production as well. We'll see how we go. <laughs> Keep the kiddos in the background. All right, you're a legend. Have an amazing night and we'll see you real soon. Bye. Bye.